All right. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to the podcast. End of the week of October 15th, 15th, 2023, I believe. <laughs> I hope you're doing well, and I hope you can remember dates uh, better than I can. Uh, this week, we are going to be talking about uh, the Sermon on the Mount, and in particular, the, the Beatitudes. And I might have uh, bitten off more than I can chew here, uh, but we're going to try to do a broad uh, overlook of the Sermon on the Mount and uh, really dig into the idea of the nonviolent call of Jesus, that the call to uh, the community that followed Jesus and the call uh, for all Christians is to lives of radical peace and nonviolence. So let's start with uh, the understanding that God is inherently nonviolent. Yeah, God is nonviolent. Gandhi said the kingdom of God is nonviolence. The kingdom of God is nonviolence. The call of the entire gospels is that God is love and God's kingdom and reign is peace. Okay, we can only understand God as much as we understand peace and nonviolence. We can only understand God as much as we can understand peace and nonviolence. That's it. Uh, the Sermon on the Mount brings uh, so much of this sweeping message into focus. Matthew chapter 5 through 7, Jesus brings uh, really a culmination of his life in te- teaching uh, around absolute nonviolence into its, like he brings it into its clearest view. Uh, it was said that Gandhi read from the Sermon on the Mount every single day. Uh, in that he's, he considered it the greatest teaching on peace and nonviolence in human history. And it worked. It worked. He, he put it to the test and it worked. And so many others have uh, since and, and before. And we see that work uh, continuing today. The Sermon on the Mount is a work of genius. It is a work of genius. In my perspective, and what I'll share a little bit today is... Uh, profoundly influenced by uh, a couple of my professors, um, peace activists, ethicists, Dr. Glenn Stassen, uh, Dr. Bob Patterson, Baylor University, both have since passed. Uh, They opened my eyes to uh, a vision of a Jesus who was always, always engaging in nonviolent resistance and civil disobedience and teaching others to do the same. This was what his life was centered on, civil disobedience and teaching others to reclaim their power. Okay, all of this is summarized in the Sermon on the Mount. You know, we we have figures like Desmond Tutu, Martin Luther King, uh, Daniel Berrigan, Henry Nouwen, John Deere, Walter Wink, so many others, uh, Dorothy Day, uh, that have um, been so influential in, in my thinking on how I I cannot not view Jesus through the lens of active nonviolence and how it's imperative for the Christian life. Imperative for the Christian life. Um, it you cannot have a Christian life um, without a deep commitment to nonviolence. I'm going to try to do a brief over, overview. Like I said, this might be this might be a bit much, and I know I'm not going to be able to hit. Uh, everything. So I just, uh, I, I want to hit some some interesting points that maybe will um, maybe stir something in you or bring up a question. And uh, if you're around on Sunday, if you're part of Mission Hills, we'll, we'll hash it all out. So, uh, you know, question we can kind of enter into 
this week with would would be something like how might the world be transformed if Christians embrace the values and practices of the Sermon on the Mount to resist violence, systemic racism, and environmental exploitation? How might the world be transformed if Christians embrace the values and practices uh, of the Sermon on the Mount to resist violence, systemic racism, and environmental exploitation? So let's start at the beginning. It's a good place to start. Uh, Let's look at the Beatitudes. The Beatitudes are the core values, you could say, of God's kingdom of nonviolence. This is what they are. This is a value set. Jesus acknowledges a society um, that values, uh, and he offers encouragement and vision for who and what God values. So he's juxtaposing uh, what the world values and what God's reality values. Uh, Peace activist John Deere points out that what is often translated as blessed. Most of us know the Beatitudes uh, for uh, blessed be uh, and so on, uh, that it would better be understood as arise and walk forth in Jesus's Aramaic. So Jesus would have been speaking in Aramaic, and we can understand blessed as arise and walk forth. Okay, I think this framework is helpful because we can sort of recognize that what Jesus is doing is empowering a powerless group to stand up, reclaim their God-given dignity, and resist with love, creativity, and nonviolence. Okay, and then we see from the Beatitudes how Jesus uh, basically leads a workshop in nonviolent resistance, uh, but he starts with this value set. So let's let's swap blessed uh, are for arise and walk forth. And I'll, I'll read these and, uh, yeah, maybe we'll read them again on Sunday in this way. Arise and walk forth those who are poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Arise and walk forth those who mourn for they will be comforted. Arise and walk forth those who are meek for they will inherit the earth. Arise and walk forth those who hunger and thirst for righteousness for they will be filled. Arise and walk forth those who are merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Arise and walk forth those who are pure in heart, for they will see God. Arise and walk forth those who are peacemakers, for they will be called sons and daughters of God. Arise and walk forth those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Arise and walk forth when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. All right, so that kind of gives us uh, a different sort of tonal quality. My professor, uh, Glenn Stassen, who was a peace activist and advocate for uh, what he coined as just peacemaking, he uh, he points out that the, the Beatitudes are prophetic statements, uh, Jesus proclaiming what God's kingdom and reality is. Is like, and I like this arise and walk forth because it, it it puts into motion uh, these uh, what the CEB translate is happy or what most translations uh, translate as blessed. And I like this arise and walk forth those who are persecuted. It puts into motion, and that's what Jesus is doing. He's being prophetic and he's offering a radical message of empowerment to the poor and marginalized in this gathering. And then he starts to talk about the practicalities of what this life of peace looks like, both inside and out. So he's reminding the crowd that they 
are the ones who already possess the kingdom of God. You know, Luke's gospel says like, uh, blessed are the poor, woe to the rich. Like he's, Jesus is reminding this crowd, you possess the kingdom of God right here and right now. So it's necessary to do all of these things. It's necessary to grieve and weep in order to arise and stand up for justice. Uh, Thomas Merton pointed out that the English word for meek, which is often used uh, in the Beatitudes, uh, should better be understood as creative, active nonviolence. So you can swap meek for creative, active nonviolence. So let's read this. Arise and walk forth those who practice creative, nonviolent resistance, for they will inherit the earth. Earth, Arise and walk forth those who practice creative, nonviolent resistance, for they will inherit the earth. So uh, we can see how uh, some of this message just gets a little bit lost in translation, and maybe we can get a new vision for how Jesus starts off his workshop in nonviolent resistance. So this begins the Sermon on the Mount, and Jesus is making clear that uh, peace is not only an external practical reality, but it is also a matter of the heart. Jesus emphasizes the absolute importance of the inward work of peace, which is necessary for it to become an external reality. In other words, uh, peace can always be here and now in your body, in your breath. Thich Nhat Hanh said, peace work begins with a smile. Peace work begins with a smile. I love that. Uh, John Deere uh, puts it like, when Jesus calls the crowd uh, to purity of heart, he's calling uh, them to an inward journey to a widening heart of compassion for others, all of creation and the creator. So this beatitude becomes an invitation to the inner journey of love, nonviolence and peace. So there's an inner journey and there's an outward journey. Uh, I think it was Daniel Berrigan who said, Jesus did not have a mean bone in his body. Jesus didn't have a mean bone in his body. I like that one too. So it is a life of peace that moves uh, those listening to Jesus and us into public acts of love and nonviolence in the midst of suffering. And he connects this to the religious tradition as the true meaning of scripture. So it's all centered on being compassionate and nonviolent human beings in a world of subjugation and occupation. So Jesus continues to clarify this uh, nonviolent resistance within God's kingdom, which is so counterintuitive. It's counterintuitive then, it's counterintuitive now, uh, that not only should you not kill or support violence, it's not welcome in God's kingdom, but you should not even be angry, right? He says, do not be angry. Uh, We can look at Desmond Tutu as an example of someone who transcended anger. So Jesus emphasizes that even violent language is not welcome in God's kingdom. Uh, The message puts it very plainly, the moral fact is that even words kill. Another core practice that sort of weaves in and out of the Sermon on the Mount is forgiveness. Jesus says that before you do anything, dedicate yourself to making things right with others. Forgive. Be sincere in your heart and in your intentions. So the nonviolent life is free uh, because there there aren't grudges to be had. Uh, Love is the deepest uh, pursuit of the good for each other. So you lay everything to the side, you make things right, and then you begin. Nonviolence is selfless in the truest sense that there is no self-interest. Life is completely free uh, when we are dedicated to to loving the enemy. And there, there's just no catch. There's no catch in a life that's just dedicated to the benefit of the other. So in the next section, Jesus offers uh, the core of his vision for 
peace in God's kingdom. And then he gives some practical examples of how to be uh, civil, civilly disobedient. Uh, Gandhi, Gandhi famously <coughs> summarized the first bit of this when he said, an eye for an eye makes the whole world blind. An eye for an eye makes the whole world blind. The point is in this section, you cannot pay, repay violence with violence. You cannot repay violence with violence. So Matthew uh, 5.39 should be translated, offer no violent resistance to one who does evil. Offer no violent resistance to one who does evil. Uh, This is what Walter Wink called the myth of redemptive violence, that violence can never solve the violence problem. All right, we always think that more violence will eventually solve violence. Walter Wink says, it's a tale as old as time. Violence will never solve the violence problem. This is where Jesus moves into, after he says, you know, offer no violent resistance to someone who does evil. He gives practical examples to uh, do exactly what he's saying. So he gives three examples of how to engage in civil disobedience. And this is where Walter Wink's teaching is invaluable in understanding all, that all three examples, turning the other cheek, which is about subjugation in the social hierarchy, giving away all your clothes, which is about economic exploitation, and walking the extra mile, which is about occupation, were all first century acts of civil disobedience. So turning the other cheek, somebody would not be able to use their left hand, so you're reclaiming your own power by not letting someone, <clears throat> by turning the other cheek and saying, I'm reclaiming my dignity. I'm putting myself on equal footing. They would not be able to hit you uh, with their right hand when you turned your cheek. Giving away all your clothes would have publicly shamed those who uh, witnessed you taking off your clothes after they used your shirt as uh, economic collateral. And then walking the extra mile when a Roman soldier could only carry someone's pack one mile, you continue to put them in (laughs) in a difficult place by continuing to walk further than they were allowed to make you walk. So all of these are about reclaiming one's dignity in the face of violence. This puts the marginalized on equal footing with their oppressors. So Jesus is saying, do not repay violence with violence. Offer no violent resistance to one who does evil. Here's what you should do, okay? Someone disrespects you and and slaps you as a way to put you in your place, you turn the other cheek reclaiming your dignity, putting yourself on equal footing. This is engaging in the non-cooperation of humiliation. Disarm your enemy with peace. Take back control of the situations with nonviolence. So to be so to be clear, if it wasn't already, Jesus' teachings on nonviolence are not passive. They're not do nothing. This is not acquiescing to violence and domination of the oppressors and the systems as they be. Instead, he is inviting everyone to arise and walk forth to respond to violence with active nonviolent resistance. Creative, be creative. Uh, This is God's kingdom. Uh, Jesus, of course, takes this philosophy and teaching even further. He goes into this, one of the most, maybe the most radical line in the entire scriptures. He says, you have heard your, love your friend and hate your enemy, but I tell you, love your enemy. You've heard, love your friend, hate your enemy. I tell you, love your enemy. Let that sink in. This is not referring to the neighbor, annoying neighbor next door or your coworker. This is political language. This is, he's, ta- he's talking about groups of people. You are not to hate your enemy. You are to only love. Uh, Christian history has not done a great job at this. Uh, love your enemy. Uh, I think the Greek word there is agape, to love unconditionally aka without condition, no self-interest. 
to love with your enemy's interest in mind, not yours. This is radical self-sacrifice for the enemy. Uh, as many of you know, uh, probably the line from Dorothy Day, we only love God as much as we love the person who we love the least. We only love God as much as we love the person who we love the least. Uh, love your enemy unconditionally. Jesus teaches that God's love is unconditional. Uh, so how could yours be conditional? In God's kingdom of peace, there is only peace for everyone. And then he, he wraps up this section by imploring them to grow up, live generously, live graciously. And, and then chapter six, he breaks his teachings down into, I don't know, kind of like key practices of a life dedicated to nonviolence in the kingdom of God. So I'm going to kind of just uh, touch on these really briefly. Uh, he says, be generous. Don't perform. Don't, don't be generous just so other people will see you be generous or because you want to impress yourself or you want to impress God. Do it quietly. Just be sincere. Be generous. And then he says, pray. We can think of this as cultivating peace inwardly and outwardly, like we spoke about earlier. Uh, do not think uh, well of those um, who it's easy to like, uh, because <laughs> be willing to possess an unconditional love uh, for the people you don't like. Uh, just like generosity, uh, make your prayers sincere. All right, <laughs> we're not trying to perform here. Be sincere in your unconditional love for yourself and other people. And then he says, live simply, live peacefully. Uh, there's a lot in this section that I think is really, really, really interesting. Um, but he, he says things like, look at the birds, free and unfettered, not tied to a job description. This is the message. Careless in the care of God. And, count, and you count far more to God than birds. Um, all about living simply and peacefully, generously, open-handed, um, prayer, cultivating peace inwardly and outwardly, and living free and generous, not to perform for somebody else, but for love and peace and justice. Uh, throughout the sermon, Jesus reminds us that this path is difficult. It's a, it's a, it's the way of uh, downward mobility, uh, which is really hard to listen to in our culture that is obsessed with success and money and accumulation. The, we, we, we like things up and to the right. This is a path of downward mobility. Uh, Jesus' way is, is radically generous. Uh, give up your possessions, live free, pray for those who persecute you. Uh, you cannot serve God and money. Don't talk about that one a lot. You cannot serve God and money. You cannot love God and violence. Um, if God is love and God's kingdom is nonviolence, we cannot serve God and violence. We cannot serve God and money. Uh, Jesus in the message puts it like this at the end of this section. Uh, what I'm trying to get you to do here is to relax, to not be preoccupied with getting so that you can respond to God's giving. And uh, that is a true statement, if I've ever heard. Like, we've all been in places where we are preoccupied with getting, accumulating, uh, getting some kind of benefit for ourselves or a standing in uh, the community or uh, a job. Uh, we can be preoccupied with ourselves and our lives. Um, Jesus is constantly flipping that value set on its head to say, to live freely is to respond to God's giving, to be open to a life dedicated 
to complete and an absolute nonviolence, love of the enemy. So in chapter seven, just to briefly kind of go through this, uh, he continues to describe a life of nonviolence. It's a life of non-judgment. It's a life of acceptance. Uh, when we create a life of peace within us, only love and justice flow outward. He reminds the group that's gathered that God's way of nonviolence is a narrow gate. <laughs> this is uh, not uh, this is not easy work to do, uh, but this leads to life, and violence only leads to more destruction. That nonviolence is is the way to life, and violence only leads to more violence. Uh, the way of systems and powers, uh, the domination system, militaries, violence leads to more violence. And we know Jesus's world um, was full of violence and oppression and marginalization and subjugation. Uh, he concludes essentially by saying this way of violence is um, this way of nonviolence is the foundation of all life in God's reality. Always generous, always compassionate, always pursuing justice, and it disarms violence through peace. And what would happen if we applied that kind of Sermon on the Mount ethic uh, of nonviolence to uh, our global context? What if Christians applied this 100% absolute nonviolent resistance ethic globally? Yeah, this is the good news of Jesus Christ. So may we respond to Jesus's invitation uh, into lives of radical nonviolent resistance. In a world that values violence and vengeance and money, may we extend more compassion and love and forgiveness. And may they call us peacemakers. As always, may we love God embrace beauty, and live life to the fullest. Be well.